Well, thank you to the worship team for leading us in those wonderful hymns and carols. I invite you to turn in your Bibles now to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. This ancient prophecy given to the prophet Isaiah in Israel. And we're going to pick up in verse 3. Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 3, and I'm going to read down to the end of verse 17. Isaiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 3, this is the very word of God. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and share Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramaliah, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel, as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within 65 years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, namely the king of Assyria. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me now? Holy Father, on this Christmas Eve Sunday, we nevertheless celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We do not act as if Jesus is not risen simply because we are commemorating and remembering the birth of Christ. And so, according to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, Father, I ask that your Spirit would come and help us to reorient ourselves to you, 
the true and living God. And as we have just read from your word, we see that there are throughout history all kinds of political turmoil. And we are no strangers to that today. And so, Lord, we pray and intercede for those who are in positions of power throughout this world. In particular, we pray for our country. We pray for Justin Trudeau, our Prime Minister, and for our Premier, Daniel Smith, and for our Mayor, Jody Gondek. And we pray, Lord, that they would repent and flee from the wrath to come, that they would turn to Jesus Christ in saving faith, that we could call them brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, they are not so now, but we ask that you would do that work and that they would turn from their sin and their folly and believe in you so that they would be saved. Lord, we do pray that you would grant them even wisdom to govern wisely and not foolishly. Stop them from doing wickedness, Lord, we ask. We intercede even for our nation in that regard. And Lord, even for our city, for our neighbors, for our extended families and loved ones, Lord, we pray that this Christmas time would be a time when your gospel would go forth, whether through a church service or through a book given or through a Bible read or through the testimony of Christians, that your gospel would go forth and that people who are our neighbors, who are family and friends, that they would be saved. Lord, the turning from darkness to light is the most important turning. And so we ask, Lord, that you would use us to bear witness that we would be those who go tell it on the mountain or in the streets or across the table at the dining room dinner, wherever it may be, Lord, that we would tell people that Jesus Christ is born, that he has lived, that he has died, that he has risen from the dead, and that he is returning again, even from heaven, to judge the living and the dead. So, Lord, now as we consider your word, we pray that this church would then be a place that honors you by honoring your word. And we thank you that there are many churches throughout the city that are doing the same thing. We pray that gospel ministry would continue in these good churches, and we pray that people would be banging on the doors to join them. Lord, we ask that even now, for those who are strangers to your grace, those who are familiar with your grace, Lord, we pray that nevertheless now the power of your grace would be enjoyed by us, would be received, and that we then would look to you, for you are worthy of all praise. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, first, I just want to thank you for coming here even to this early service. Uh, a few of us who were here, Ole and his crew are shoveling, and you know, some of us, we weren't sure if we were going to be the only ones here. So it's nice to see so many of you here this morning, and we also have this other service coming after. And, and I have no doubt that people are planning which service to go to, based a little bit on their Christmas Eve plans. You're probably getting into that mode of all of your planning. And, and you might be one of those people, uh, I can kind of feel a little bit myself, where you're entering this season of Christmas celebrations, not with a bang, but with a whimper. 
Uh, you're just kind of, kind of dragging yourself into this season. You'd like to be excited. Others are excited, but you're not. Maybe, you're, maybe you've been coming and you're still a little bit discouraged. Or you're coming into this Christmas time despairing. Maybe a little bit disheartened. Maybe a bit disillusioned. We know this is the case for so many people at Christmas time. On the one hand, I think we certainly have every right to feel the, that, that way, you know, in this discouraged kind of way. We, we've seen it over the past year the dark confusion that our society is in. This society that self-consciously rejects and even attacks anything to do with God's common and uncommonly revealed truth. And, and so because we see that, it leaves us grieving, disillusioned, disheartened. We look on our country and we feel at times like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. On the other hand, we may find these glimmers of change, cultural recovery, maybe a, a political statement of sanity from some politician, and yet those seem to be quickly snuffed out like this smoldering on your scented Christmas candle. All of us suffer from very secularized minds, even Christians, I think. I certainly feel that way. You know, we, I'm not talking just about, you know, kind of the secular, safe, unoffensive type of greeting that says, Happy Holidays. You've heard that not lots recently. But there is this, this secularizing thing that is happening in our minds, even for Christians. And then God then shows us in His Word, in His actions, a surprise. He can challenge our unbelief. Something that's striking. Something that exposes our unbelief. And I would say that the promise that is given in Isaiah 7, which was fulfilled as DJ led us in the liturgy in, in Matthew chapter 1, fulfilled at Christmas, is that kind of surprise. Now even as we are in this secularized world, a secularizing trend, this globalized religion that is secular, well what happens to a nation that secularizes? What happens to them? The object lesson is actually in this passage. And you may not understand all the geopolitical dynamics that are going on in Isaiah chapter 7 between the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel, the further northern kingdom of Syria, and then the superpower to the north called Assyria. You might not understand all of those dynamics. But it's politics. And what happens with a nation such as Judah, as Ahaz was of the house of David even, what happens when a nation secularizes? The object lesson is here in this ancient situation. And so I think at Christmas, especially Christmas at the end of 2023, this is extremely relevant for us because as we return to this Emmanuel prophecy, it ought to lift our eyes to the Lord and then to, to have then within us growing then a sense 
of expectancy of what God may do. Because if you're like me, you can get low in your expectations of what God can do. You see things as being bad and you get your ex- expectations are lowered. And God would have us be surprised at what He is able to do. Now, like I say, you may be unaware of the politically depressing context in which Isaiah prophesied to Ahaz. Ahaz, this king in embattled Judah. Now, in the seventh chapter of Isaiah, this prophecy is here. And King Ahaz was told that his geopolitical rivals would be dealt with. You know, he he can't figure out how they're going to be dealt with. He's not sure how they could be dealt with. But God tells them they are going to be dealt with. All that he has to do is trust God. That's all he has to do. As Isaiah put it in Isaiah chapter 7, the end of verse 9 there, the New American Standard puts it like this, If you will not believe, you surely shall not last. And I think that could be a theme for anyone here. If you will not believe, you surely shall not last. You're not going to make it. The tension in the situation was one that all of us have felt. Because things can seem so bleak. It's so bleak that we can give up our former hope. We can drop our former loyalties. We can break our old covenants. And you might be here, I, like, you know, knowing all the stuff in everybody's lives, you might be here and you might be saying, well, I'm, I'm just barely here at church. I'm on the verge of giving up. And, and this is what happens. When things seem bleak, you think, well, should I just give up on it all? Terry Stauffer used to be a pastor here. Terry, very wise man. He used to speak about married couples. And he would say when married couples would come into counseling, especially when they're in a bad way and they were contemplating divorce, Terry would describe it. He said they would look at everything with what he called the jaundiced eye. Everything was looked at with the jaundiced eye. They couldn't seem to see any good anymore in their marriage. Their spouse could do nothing right and everything wrong. And that's how they would look at their marriage. All of it, everything was tainted with bitterness and distrust and distaste. Well, see, it's not just in marriages that you can look at everything with the jaundiced eye. This is how Ahaz had come to see Yahweh, the God of Israel. He, had, he was starting to see Jehovah with a jaundiced eye. Now, of course, God knew this. God knew exactly what Ahaz was thinking. He knew this, even though the Lord God was entitled to worship and glory and honor and praise. But nevertheless, Ahaz wasn't giving that, but nevertheless, the Lord was going to be gratuitously generous in an undeserved way toward Ahaz. He offered an incentive to Ahaz 
that was over and above every fulfilled promise and demonstration of power that God had offered to date. You know, this is Yahweh. This is the covenant, that's his covenant name, the covenant Lord of Israel, the God who delivered Israel out of Egypt by great miracles, pillars of cloud and fire dividing the Red Sea, that it is the origin story of this great nation Israel. He delivers them out of Egypt by miraculous power. This is that God. And he goes to Ahaz and he says, I've got, I've got something for you. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. And so he says in verse 11 there, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. The, the possibilities are literally endless. I, I, they're it's just high as heaven, as low as shield, anything in between. I mean, I've thought about this. I thought about what Ahaz could have asked for. You know, this kind of stuff, like, uh, you know, I think when you get into these scenarios, like I know I've asked my boys, you know, these kinds of things, you know, what would you want? And then it, the answer is generally something like a Lamborghini. Or, you know, along those lines. Or I thought a little bit about, you know, now if you played around with this stuff on, on, on the computer, the, the artificial intelligence now, they've got these, these image generators. So you can type in these absurd things and it will create an image for you. So you could have an AI image generator of a dog with the face of a man shoveling snow on Mars. You know, and it's going to come up with some picture. Or, uh, or as, you know, for my Toronto friends, you could have the Toronto Maple Leafs having a Stanley Cup parade down Young Street. They're all fantasies. They don't exist in reality. Just get a little Toronto shot in there. Ahaz, on the other hand, he had the opportunity of a lifetime. He could ask God for any fantastic thing and God could fulfill it. He could do it. And so God surprised Ahaz, and this is the surprise, by saying to him simply, ask, ask, ask. And and so this is where then just thinking about yourselves and where you're at this morning. Are you actually asking God this Christmas? Are you asking Him? Are you asking Him? Are you really asking in faith? As James says, ask in faith without doubting. For, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, James 1.6. So this is the God-given surprise for Ahaz, also for Judah, for the human race, and for you, and for me, I would say, God didn't have to say, ask. The Norse gods, they don't say, ask, because they're not real. The algorithm doesn't say, ask, 
because it's not a real thing either. Even the mystery of the triune God, one God and three persons, the Father can say to the Son, ask Psalm 2. Ask Psalm 2 verse 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Ask. The invitation from God to ask may be, in fact, the, I think the most surprising discovery which you will find this Christmas. This surprising discovery that you can ask. But of course, there is a problem, and, and it's common to all mankind. It's a temptation, it's also a threat, and it's illustrated here by this king's response. And so if the first point was to ask, the second point is to see this surprisingly unbelieving response. Now, now remember, you know, we, we said Ahaz looked at his life, he looked at his situation, he looked at his reign, he looked at his nation, and he looked at it all with the jaundiced eye when he, when he looked to God. That's how he saw God. It was all tainted and bitter. When he was invited to ask God for something spectacular to confirm that God had promised something and that God would fulfill it, Ahaz did the unthinkable. He didn't ask. He didn't ask. Verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask. It's not that he chose to ask for something selfish, like making the wealth of Assyria pour into Judah's state treasury. He didn't ask for harems and the pleasures of decadent living, which all wealthy elites have wanted from that time till today. But what's most shocking, I think, what's, I mean, sadly, it's not surprising, but it's most shocking was that Ahaz didn't ask God for anything at all. He didn't even ask Him. You see, this is a thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a remarkable thing. Is that when people are disbelieving, and that might be you here, or it might be somebody you know, when people are disbelieving, it is not that they are looking to God with mixed motives. Rather, they simply don't look to God at all. They just don't look to God at all. They have no confidence in God. They don't think that He has any power. He doesn't even register with them as a legitimate source of power. They don't think He's a source of change. They don't think He's a source of hope. And this is the essence of the secular mindset. It's not that belief in God is insufficiently supported. The idea of God is simply irrelevant. And so that's what happens when professing Christians, when they start to pull away from the church, or they minimize walking with the Lord, or they drop off in their commitment to follow Him wholeheartedly, it's because they don't think there's any more power there. The power is gone. So they they, they just stop asking. They just refuse to ask God. And their heart's response is sort of like, mm, why bother? Why bother? 
Or maybe you're here and you're just on the, you know, you showed up to church, but you're just on the verge of the why bother. And I would just suggest to you that you're right there like Ahaz, where you don't even have confidence in God that you would even ask Him. And so you're not asking Him. Ahaz replied there in verse 12, you see it. Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, a reader might look at this and think that Ahaz is being sort of, he's half pious. He's referencing the prohibition against testing the Lord back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16. But this is the kind of dissimulation that you might get from the serpent in Eden. Ahaz didn't think that Yahweh was even worth engaging with. It's like, I, I, I can't really be bothered here. You know, and so, so he, he says, oh, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. What he really means is, I, I'm actually, I couldn't be bothered to engage in this, in this type of trial, this engagement, this testing. Ahaz's view of Yahweh's power was so low that Ahaz wouldn't even hedge his bets with Yahweh. <laughs> you know, like you, you could see that mixed motive. Oh yeah, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask God big time for this, but I'm also going to seek power elsewhere. You, you would expect that. He's not even there. He's like, oh no, I'm not even going to bother with this Jewish religion thing. He doesn't even ask. Ahaz had other options to leverage, other appeals to make, other powers to solicit. And I would just ask then for you, as you're sitting here, I, I wonder if you're tempted to do the same. Well, in fact, I know you are, because I am too. You, you may appeal to your financial power, your financial security, or maybe you'll appeal to your reputational power. Or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's to your work ethic power. Or, or maybe it's to your beauty power. Or, or maybe it's your status power. You, you leverage all of these things and you lean on them. And you ask of these powers to come through for you. You're going to lean on all of that. But you won't ask God. And what's ironic, of course, in this, for all of this, is that the king was actually testing God's patience. You see verse 13. God says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? You got the opportunity to ask, you're not going to ask, you're told to ask, and you won't ask? You're just like, you're, you're trying God's patience if that's possible. Ahaz was falling into the trap, as Paul pointed out much later on in Romans 2, verse 4, when he said, Do you presume, do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. People think, oh, repentance, it's only because people have to see that there's the wrath of God. Well, that's true. But they also, a lot of people don't realize, no, God's kindness 
even though He's just and you're deserving of wrath, His kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. He's patient. And then you realize, oh wow, you've been so patient with me. And you repent. Unless, of course, you're like Ahaz. And like, eh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really engaging with you. I've got other things to do. It's a remarkable thing, and it's so common to us all. See, the, the, this, is a, this is a threat, though. You think, oh yeah, well, I can just kind of keep God over there. The sad tragedy for Ahaz was that his secular rejection of Yahweh could only, be foot, only end up being filled by welcoming wickedness. He ended up welcoming wickedness. And this is, I think, a warning to ourselves, to our nation, as I mentioned in the opening. By making the secular choice, Ahaz gave himself completely into the hands of the superculture of Assyria. The superculture of its time. Ahaz thought he was being open-minded, looking beyond the faith of his fathers, being a seeker, being open like any secularist would tell you. But because of this secular bent, Ahaz ended up sealing a demonic allegiance when he performed the most degenerate act. We are told later in 2 Kings chapter 16 that Ahaz made his son pass through the fire. 2 Kings 16.3 He actually took the heir of his kingdom, his, his son, and he sacrificed his son to a demon, to a false god. So, so that's, that's the idea of this secular neutrality. People don't realize they're just saying, here I am with open arms. Well, welcome in demonic influence. His refusal to believe in the true God left him open to believe, as John 8.44 says, to believe the father of lies. And so then, this, is, this, I think, then, is the point for us all to be aware of as we enter a 2024 that appears, I think, to be ripe for new manifestations of madness. We've had lots in 2023. There's going to be a whole new ones, crazy stuff, in the coming year. I, unless the Lord returns, I think it's going to be wild. But the point is this. This secular society, it's not neutral. It's not merely open even vulnerable, or I should say it's, it is open, but then it is vulnerable to the power of demonic suggestion, demonic persuasion. And the surprise to our unbelief at Christmas is that God invites us to ask. But the other surprise is that many people like Ahaz, they just blindly refuse to ask. And you're like, I can't believe this. Won't you ask? Won't you turn to the Lord Jesus? Won't you forsake sin? And we're just so, we're, it's surprising. Well, I, I, can't, I can't get over it. Why don't you ask? You've got the opportunity to ask. So the surprise is God offers, says ask, and the other surprise is people don't ask. So what does God do though? What does God do? 
He does, just like he did, he does in ways where he is able, he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Ephesians 3.20. He's able, more than able. Ahaz refused God, but that didn't stop God. It doesn't stop God. There can be no plot or script that could present the kind of promise which Yahweh could make despite Ahaz's secularist apostasy. There, there's, just, there's just nothing on the radar that we could ever imagine that could fit that. I mean, we know the words of the prophecy now are familiar, even if this intense political context is not. You know what? There, verse 14, and quoted in Matthew 1. Therefore, the Lord Himself, the Lord Himself, He Himself, coming from Him, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. You're not asking for one. He will give you one. He's going to give you what you did not ask for. He will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God's promise in this case, this sign, it's all oxymorons. It doesn't make sense. They're all oxymorons. The oxymoron of a virgin conceiving it's a contradiction in terms. It's a contradiction in terms. If you don't know that that's a contradiction in terms, I'll, I'll leave moms and dads to deal with that at home. But, but there's, it, there's more oxymorons. The oxymoron of a human being being L. That is, a human being having the Hebrew name of God, which is Emmanuel. El is God. Emmanuel is with us. God with us. That's an oxymoron. That a human son could be God. So a virgin conceiving, a human son being El, and being with us, But such oxymorons are prophetically promised by a God who, as we said, had the ability to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Ahaz refused to even ask. But in our sophisticated, and I would say nihilistic age, I don't think we're a whole lot different. So you consider then when the angel announced to Joseph that his virgin betrothed would conceive, he would have been tempted to be disbelieving. Joseph was told, Matthew 1.20, the one conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Remarkably though, Joseph, unlike Ahaz, Joseph chose to believe instead. He trusted the Lord. And Matthew one twenty two that DJ read said all this took 
place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Of course, quoting this passage from nearly 800 years before. Behold, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Familiar, this prophecy is familiar. You've probably already read it a couple of times. You've talked it through with your kids or you've reflected on this. You've heard lots of sermons on it. There's nothing really new here, maybe. And yet at the same time, I leave us with two practical challenges for this Christmas. And this, I know, I know it's applicable to you. Because it's applicable to me, it's applicable to all of us. And the first is this. Be asking, don't be anxious. Be asking, don't be anxious. Whether it's the small things, like, you know, how are you going to, you know, get this Christmas meal ready, right? Or how are you going to, where are you going to put all these visitors to your home? Like, you're anxious about it. Small things, big things. Be asking, don't be anxious. Ask God. And so the simple test over this Christmas, the simple test is to ask yourself, am I feeling anxious at the moment? Am I feeling anxious? If I am feeling anxious, am I asking? Oh, I forgot to ask. I'm really stressed out. Uh, Oh, I forgot to ask. I forgot to ask God. I'm anxious. Ahaz was anxious. He had political anxiety. Are you asking? Ahaz, you can ask. Are you asking? Very simple. If you're anxious, are you asking? But secondly, give glory to God. Give glory to God. John Murray, great theologian, he said, to give glory to God is to reckon God to be what He is and to rely upon God, relying on His power and faithfulness. To reckon Him as true and relying upon Him. You see, turning to God glorifies Him. Relying on God's power and promises glorifies Him. Do this this Christmas. Glorify Him by seeing and reckoning Him to be true and relying upon Him. Give yourself to Him. And still, the provision of the only true Savior the world can ever know fulfills the promise that only God could make. And so when we consider the promise that God made to Ahaz, we are challenged again with the simple truth of God's sovereign power As James said, you do not have because you do not ask. Let us ask him. Ask him to come to us. Ask him to save us. Ask him to guide us. Ask him to deliver us for his own glory. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask that you would make us an asking people, not an anxious people. Come and do that to your own glory Do this even this Christmas, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we close our time in worship. Please rise. Just a reminder, at 5 o'clock, we've got our...
Christmas Eve service. You're invited to come on back and join us as we celebrate even Christ's own birth. And with that, I leave you with this testimony, the testimony of Jesus Christ, the testimony from 1 John chapter 5. The testimony is this, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And the question at this Christmas is, have you asked Him? Have you asked Him? to have this life. Go in peace. God bless you all.